I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When Will Ferrell said he'd be my guest on Ruthie's Table 4, I expected some laughs, some great stories, but not... Happy birthday in Swedish. You have to say hooray four times. When I tell people that I'm doing a podcast with Will, their faces light up. Everyone seems to love him when they remember working with him or, of course, watching him on screen in those classic comedies, Elf and Anchorman, and many more. We do have a mutual friend, Saturday Night Live creator and producer Lorne Michaels, but we first met last spring when I was invited to a lunch. Now, walking into a lunch party late can be awkward. Conversations stop, chairs are adjusted, introductions made, but there I was, seated next to Will, and all was right with the world. He was here in London filming Barbie, and I was just off to New York, but we promised to continue the conversation. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Well, you're not allowed to go to the River Cafe anymore without me being there. I know. So, so frustrating. <laughs> we keep, Get these photographs we keep of you. missing each other. All right. Where are you, by the way? Are you in your house? No, we're in one of the studios here oh. in Hollywood. Well, would you like to read? Do you have it there, the recipe for... I, I do. So this is the a recipe for white truffle tagliarini, not to be confused with tagliatelle, correct? Correct. Um, Finer noodle. It serves four, and you need at least one... 10 gram fresh white truffle. I guess you could have more. 250 grams of dried Italian made tagliarini or fresh rich egg pasta. Uh, sea salt and freshly ground black pepper. And 20 grams of unsalted butter. So, what you're going to do is you're going to start by you're going to clean the truffle. You don't want a dirty truffle, trust me. Um, brushing the surface to remove any sand that may be stuck in the crevices. Um, you cool the tagliarina until al dente. Okay. I think you cook it rather than cool it. Oh yeah. You cook it. (laughs) That makes no sense. (laughs) See, I know I'm like, okay. Yeah. You cook. Okay. That's fine. You cook the tagliarina in boiling salted water until al dente. Now, in a, in a pan large enough to hold the pasta, gently heat the butter until just soft, adding a pinch of nutmeg and black pepper and a few shavings of truffle. And now, after that, you add the pasta to the warm butter mixture and toss again and again to coat each strand. And then once, once you've done that, you place into hot plates and grate the truffle generously over each portion. Sounds good. Easy. Yeah. So tell me, why did you choose this recipe? 
of all the recipes? I chose it. Um, I chose it because it seems relatively accomplishable. Doesn't seem too overwhelming, and I love a good truffle. I love that flavor. I love black pepper, mm. and it's also just it's very comforting. Yes. It's comforting, yeah. and it's also, it's such a luxury, isn't yeah. it? I mean, the yeah. idea of having white truffles is uh, very special. It's a very short season. You have it, I don't, can you get them? I guess you must be able to get them in California, of course. They must send them over from Italy. But did you live in Italy? Did you, have you ever spent any time there where you would have white truffle tagliarini? You know, I've, I've worked there once, which was great. What were you doing? I was working on Zoolander 2. I was working there for five weeks. But I didn't have to work every day. It was kind of perfect. So I'd get some time off to go and explore and, you know, have a good meal. And Where were you? What, were you just in Rome? in Rome, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that, that's such a luxury to get to do that. And it was, it was up until that point I'd had, I'd had a career of where you're always talking to everyone else who's gotten to film in exotic places. And mm. the most exotic place I would get to film is, you know, the San Fernando Valley. Uh, or, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so finally, this was, this was after, after decades, I was finally shooting a movie in Europe and it was so much fun. It was great. I did an interview with John McEnroe recently, and he was saying that when he was playing tennis, or when he was even performing in a band, there was no time to eat. You were just working, working, yeah. working. So, you know, you're being able to go that's to usually, Rome and explore. Yeah, that's, and that's that usually the case. The case. You're, you're, the, a movie schedule's intense, there's long days, and you maybe have, you know, you're catching up on your rest on the weekend. So maybe you have one mm. night mm. a week and go. But this, um, I had enough time off to where I could kind of explore. But there was... Um, there was also a really fun group of actors who uh, Kristen Wiig was working at the time, and she would organize mm. these fun dinner parties. And so that's that's another when you can kind of combine great food with great company. There's nothing better. Do you think about a location that you're going to be filming and wonder what the food will be like? Or <laughs> no, it's it's. I always uh, um, am envious of people who've able have been able to like write something specifically, um, you know, like Mike White, who did White Lotus, is a genius. Mm, His locations mm. have been Hawaii. They've been, yeah. you know, the last one <laughs> yeah. was Sicily. Yeah, Sicily. Sicily. And then I think yeah. they're doing a third one, and it's going to be in some beautiful location in Southeast Asia. So he's yeah. a smart, <laughs> he's smart, smart, guy. smart guy. I know. Yeah. So going right back, tell me about your family. Tell about your mother and father and what food was, what meals times were like in your house? Well, my folks divorced at an early age. So um, while my dad did, made a really good effort of, of still being involved, my brother and I pretty much grew up in a, a, a single parent household. Hmm. Of course, my mom had to work. And what did she do? She did a number of various jobs from landscaper to we used to call her a plant lady at one point which yeah. which meant she was worked for a company that took care of plants in office buildings so she'd go from office building to office building and 
um, and maintain the plants. Um, and she was kind of doing all these odd jobs while she finally figured out she needed to go back to school and get her her uh, master's degree and, and later went on to have a great career in adult education, teaching English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of remarkable to think about now having been a parent myself, you know, being involved with my wife and we we've always been able to help each other and we've always had help around the house. Uh, but to think of the idea of just doing it by yourself and the fact that she always got home in time for dinner and made dinner. And she, uh, both my folks are from uh, North Carolina. So she, she was an amazing cook. Every night there would, there would, you know, it's the reason why I still, I like liver and onions. It's because my mom mm-hmm. would cook it. She make yeah, she would make this amazing liver and onions where she'd kind of sear it and grill. Yeah. And would she cook the onions right down? Yeah. So and very soft onions. But she'd just kind of, yeah. she'd just do it all by feel. And she would make, or she'd make great kind of stews in a crock pot, or she'd, one of her great things that we would request that didn't happen all the time were uh, she'd make uh, a fantastic fried chicken dinner with mashed potatoes mm. that she did herself and green beans and and sometimes would and would make homemade biscuits and things like that. So, and I look back at that and my cooking skills are are negligible at best. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Mom, how did you do that? And she's like, You know, you just didn't think about it. And I was raised to learn how to cook, and I just wanted to make sure you guys at least had that one meal every night, and it was it was our time to kind of uh, to kind of sit down and 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 check in, mm. uh, which I'm sure is a common story you probably have heard, where you get to check in about how the day was and how your lives are going and et cetera. When you think about what that memory for you of sitting down at the table and that she provided that and did mm-hmm. that with, you know, and maybe, but maybe also cooking was a great pleasure for her. Also after, I used to come home after work and start cooking and everybody would say, relax, stop cooking. And actually I found it quite, do you find that, that sometimes just the thing of cooking is kind of Oh, the, yeah, the, t- the times we're, we're kind of uh, uh, find ourselves, I think, cooking a lot more in the summertime. And uh, mm. it really can be... Um, I'm kind of more the sous chef to Vivica, to my wife. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, tell me what, yeah. tell me what to do now. Okay, let me chop yeah. this. Okay, what do I do now? Watch that. Yeah. And, and yeah. you get in a rhythm and you put the baseball game on and you pour a glass of wine and it's really... It's nice. It's nice, yeah. yeah. It matters. And when you would see your dad, would he cook for you? Would you and go then, out to dinner Yeah, dad him? would... We'd, we'd kind of see our dad and then dad started getting into cooking and he, he, he was... Uh, he loved kind of, you know, uh, I feel like he was always grilling a breast of chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. feel like that was to me. And, and, or he'd, there was a local market with like a really good uh, butcher section and he would get like sweet Italian sausages and make some pasta mm-hmm. with sausages. And then of course there's the one infamous time where we were eating something. We're like, Dad, what is this? He's like, just try it. And uh, 
he had cooked us rabbit. The only problem was he just didn't connect the dots so that at that time my brother had a pet rabbit. And uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we were like, Dad, what? why are you serving rabbit? <laughs> and uh, I think he got mad at us for not trying the rabbit, but mad at himself for not thinking that that would feel weird yeah. to us. Uh, but that was a... Yeah. That was an emotional evening. Yeah, we had that. We had that in Tuscany this summer because we have. We, I always get rabbits for the little kids, and they have them in the cage. And then one night, yeah. you know, there was a yeah. rabbit. You know, and that that wasn't too good. <laughs> that wasn't good. But do you think that he kind of wanted to cook, or do you think he wanted to show you that he was taking care of you as a as as a I, parent, though he I wasn't think there? Do you think he? I think it was both. I think he learned to enjoy it, and he became pretty good at it and there was a stretch over the holidays we we still laugh about it today where and he would listen to uh the local uh cooking show on like am radio on on kbc out here in los angeles and it was and he he was like you know what i want i want to cook a christmas goose (laughs) (laughs) at christmas yeah at At Christmas. christmas yeah and he he worked so hard and and we we and it was just as tough as like leather. It was just it yeah, goose is challenging. Really hard. Yeah, it's very dry. And he was so bummed yeah. out. We're like, Dad, it's okay. It's okay. You tried your best. We'll just yeah, uh, yeah. we'll nice. order a pizza. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that's that sort of thing of cooking as a performance. Yeah, I feel Did that you, in the restaurant because we have an open kitchen and I serve something and then I always look to see the expression of somebody. Oh, I'm sure. You know. When they're eating it. You know. And I would think you are generally seeing a positive expression. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, good. I do. Good, good. It's quite nice when they say, yeah. you know, try this, and yeah. then they, you see them, you know, sharing it. And sometimes people send things back, you now they don't like it, and that's fine. Right. You know, you just redo it or cook it differently or whatever. But it is, it is a bit of a before. I always feel a bit sorry for somebody who's cooking for a dinner party and bringing it out, and they've been working all day trying to, to get it right. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, he, my dad would get very perfectionistic about timing things uh, out, and this has to go in at a certain yeah. time. And Yeah, but, but I, I've seen, like, we spent our summers in uh, Sweden. My wife was born mm. there, and we, we mm. over the years, we, we've always gone every summer, and... And we have a, a a place out there that's way out in the middle of nowhere, along uh, in this collective of little summer cottages uh, next to her. Is cousin. it on the sea? No, it's actually, yeah, we're not anywhere near the ocean. Um, we're we're uh, we're kind of in the woods, and um, we have a couple of beautiful lakes around us and that sort of thing. But it's I know that pressure that my dad because, uh, and we tend to grill a lot, and the Swedes are all. The Swedes are annoyingly good at everything with and they don't really try yeah. and they're they're good bakers and and uh my wife's cousins will come and wa- you know that pressure of of someone watching over yeah. your shoulder while you grill something yeah and they'll yeah. they'll be like you might want to take that off I'm like really okay oh. and I always listen to them and they they <laughs> they'll just walk right up and go like Mm, no, I do two minutes longer. Okay, wow. Oh. And they don't use thermometers oh. or timers or anything. And sure yeah. enough, every time I listen to it's them, delicious. it's delicious. And it was the it was the right it was the right temperature and the right time. I'm trying to yeah. think. I'm trying to think of what Swedes maybe kept. Can they do comedy? 
Are they funny? I think of Ingmar Bergman and all those kind of they're, Swedish films. They're not, they weren't exactly a lot of right, laughs. Right, they're not no. considered culturally funny, but I think they're like they're a hilarious. little, little, you know, sneaker upper type. They're they're very dry with their humor, very sarcastic, and they're they're very clever and they love to they love to tease in a very gentle way. And yeah. so I I find them really kind of funny. Yeah. I don't want to lose my Swedish listeners. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Stockholm, yeah. I've been to Stockholm, and we ate really, really well in Stockholm. There's a real food culture mm-hmm. now in Sweden, you know, and they're all foraging, and it's a very foody place. Yeah, yeah. we are always there. trying to, uh, if we hear of a new restaurant, we'll go try to go a couple nights into the city and explore. There's an amazing hotel we've stayed at a couple of times called Et Hem. Mm. And their restaurant there is as good as any I've ever been. They, they have an excellent oh, cool. group of chefs there. Um, and it's a very cozy yeah. place. It's like sitting in someone's living room. Do you eat Swedish at home? Does Vivica cook well, Swedish Well, it's food? funny because Swedes, for the most part, their day-to-day uh, kind of menu or diet is, is fairly just continental. Yeah, and... The only time you really eat specific, quote-unquote, Swedish food is usually around the holidays. So we always host a big Swedish Christmas party, which is called a Yulfest. And we have found this lovely couple, Mark and Lena, who uh, have a, a restaurant out here in L.A. called Open Face, which is all these types of open face sandwiches. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, a, a small kind of pop-up place. But... The main part of their business is catering, and she's Danish, I believe, but we found her years ago, and she knows how to cook all the Swedish food. So that's our big night where you have all the herrings, and uh, they cook a ham and Swedish meatballs with the lingonberries and all the cheeses and the kaneki bread. and mm. um, So that's like our big night to have Swedish food. And we invite – it's a party for 80 people, so – all of our wow. friends, we've been doing it for over a decade now, and everyone. In fact, there was yeah. one year. Well, there was one year we couldn't do it. I think we were out of town, and and people were, people were upset and thought we'd left them off the list. So, um, yeah. created quite an outrage. Uh, but no, that's that's our big night to eat Swedish food. Uh, and then the other big kind of Swedish meal is uh, is what's called a kreftweva which is in August, and that's when you eat crayfish. And that's really fun to, you know, you just boil all these crayfish with the cheese. And, of course, it's all done with aquavit and songs. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, sing me a Swedish song. I can sing you um, Happy Birthday in Swedish. Okay. Uh, okay. Ja mor haleva, ja mor haleva, ja mor haleva, inte hudra <laughs> Ja viska haleva, ja viska haleva, ja viska haleva, inte hur trate ho. Hurrah, 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 hurrah. You have to say hooray four times. I never expected to have a different tune. Yeah. I thought nope. was, that sounds different. like a kind of um, marching song of us, right? And it's the, funny, so the funniest lyrics in English. is like, I hope you live, I hope you live, I hope you live for a hundred years. But if you don't, but if you don't, we'll still drink to you. It's something like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it's this very, the Swedes are so funny with how they accept life and death. It's just like, I hope you live, but if you don't, don't worry, we'll still think of you. But if you, you. don't, yeah. you'll be okay. Yeah, you'll be okay. We'll, we'll think of we'll you. Think, it's yeah. all right. But on your birthday, yeah. it's your it's birthday, your bir- but yeah. let's just, you know, maybe it's not going to be yeah. forever. And so it could be, but maybe it's not. And But anyway, <laughs> the point is we're here and let's have a drink. Yeah. Okay. It's Swedish accent. Did you know the River Cafe has a shop? It's full of our favorite foods and designs. We have cookbooks, linen napkins, kitchenware, tote bags with our signatures, glasses from Venice, chocolates from Turin. You can find us right next door to the River Cafe in London or online at shoptherivercafe.co.uk. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you left your home and you had all those meals together with your brother and your mother and then your father, and then did you go to college? Did you eat out or did you I, eat in the I, dorm? Yeah, or? I think... Was it a rude awakening? No, it was It was pretty good dorm food. I was just happy to have three square meals. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, uh, but probably not my freshman or sophomore. As I moved out of the dorms into more of an apartment situation, that's where it was a little more bleak. That's yes, when it changes. That's when it changes. It? Yeah. Like, and was that in college? Yeah, or was, was that in when college. You, when you went. To- and then, and then later after college, you know that, that those are some pathetic moments in my food life where I was like, uh, you know, the struggling actor, and I'm working in a. A, a desk job that doesn't pay a lot where I literally have 20 bucks that has to last me the rest of the week. I remember my, my roommate at the time who had a better job and a little more money. I was literally sitting down. I think my dinner one night was, uh, was pasta with, and the only thing I had was some mustard and I put the mustard. Oh, that's I don't think that is a far cry from pasta with white right. truffles. And my friend Jerry, Jerry was like, 
you can borrow some of my tomato sauce. I'm like, oh no, I like, I prefer yeah, the mustard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway. And then you went to New York. Did you move to New York? Moved to New York when I was hired for Saturday Night Live, and uh, I know I told yeah. I told Lauren that we were doing this, and he was usual Lauren self saying <laughs> how much he loved you. Oh, sweet, and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know that's such a you you spend so much time in that studio and in those offices and at yeah. that show. You're not really sitting down in your apartment for a meal, but that was getting to kind of go to some of these New York restaurants. That was that was seven years of, of getting to explore. Um, in fact, there, there, was a, there was a great place down in the village on Commerce and Barrow, and I don't think it's there anymore. It was called Grange Hall. And we had so many meals there where my, my folks would fly in that week to come see the show. And we'd go like on a Thursday night to go eat at Grange Hall. And it was like the amazing, very cozy neighborhoody place where they, I just remember always ordering the hanger steak, which was like cooked really well and, and great atmosphere. And just a very, I was like, oh, this is the typical New York place, uh, which Lauren would always point out. It's funny. He would always, he made a great observation. He was like, you can tell like restaurants, it's all about lighting. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. If, if the lighting works, yeah. it's inviting and you want to sit down. And, yeah. uh, and I also had a really funny meal once with Lauren at Pastis, at the old Pastis. Oh, yeah. Before Keith it moved. Yeah. In, in 13th and, uh, Street. Yeah. Where Lauren kept saying that, uh, that uh, Mick Jagger may stop by. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah, sure. And the meal was almost done. And then all of a sudden Lauren was like, Oh, he's here. <laughs> and then we were uh, both, I don't see Lauren get nervous very much. And then we both were incredibly nervous. And, and he was like, will you sit there? Wait, no, hold on. You, I'll have him sit here. And then you sit across from here. And then, okay. Uh, hello, Mick. Hi. And then, uh, and there I was, you know, sitting next to Mick. I didn't contribute to the conversation at all because I just sat there and, but, Mick Jagger couldn't have been nicer to me and kept, he kept pulling me in and everything like that. But uh, I was too scared to say anything. Yeah. He was in the restaurant a year or two ago and he was, and he said, Ruthie, how are you? And I said, I am so excited because David Letterman is here. And then I realized that was not the thing you say to <laughs> Mick Jagger. But I, oh, but I was. I was really excited that David, and, but yeah. he's a good guy. He's a nice person. That's so yeah. funny. Do you think that getting to eat in good restaurants almost was a measure of your success when you, when you were able to go to a good restaurant or be taken to a good restaurant? Yeah, I think to some extent. I mean... Definitely. You're definitely all of a sudden in this this new category. And Lauren, part of the ritual and the schedule of the show is his big Tuesday night dinners where he has the host and he invites members of the cast. So that would either be at Orso or uh, Latanzi or um, all the, uh, you know, sometimes occasionally uh, Joe Allen's and all these kind of venerable New York restaurants. And that was really eye-opening to be, yeah, you you kind of felt like 
you know, country mouse <laughs> in the big city all of a sudden. That having been said, my fo- I, I wouldn't say we grew up, you know, we were very, very much lower middle class. We didn't have a lot. Um, they still would splurge on occasion and take mm-hmm. us to the interesting restaurant mm-hmm. that had just opened up, yeah. you know, where we lived. And uh, um, so they still gave us an appreciation for, um, I wouldn't say fine dining, but like what is kind of uh, different in, in terms of culinary th- experiences and mm-hmm. and force us to try different types of foods and, and this, that, and the other. So I definitely had a, a little bit of that in my kind of dining background. Did you ever work in a restaurant? Were you ever a waiter? I never did. Mm. I avoided that because I knew I would be fired yeah. immediately. <laughs> I'm not a why great multitasker. Yeah, why would they fire oh, you? What yeah. would you? Carrying plates or? I would have been the one that, how many tables does a waiter usually handle? What, four to five tables? Yeah, maybe. Maybe even, more? Maybe, yeah. yeah we don't, well, we don't like to have we share it around, so every waiter yeah. has a section, which is about three or four tables. Yeah, and then everybody helps. You know, we all. You know, you see managers changing the tablecloth Change, and stuff. It, right, everybody does everything. But so yeah. you guys have a real team effort, but mm. you know, if I just I would watch waiters and I'd be like, mm. I I could never keep track of everything. Yeah, I need I need a long yeah <laughs> I mm. need a long grace period. I would eventually get it down. So I uh, I knew that wasn't an area that would be a strong suit for me. It's a really hard job. You know, you send food out. And yeah. the way all these young you know, sometimes I get impatient at somebody on the grill and say, where is that sea bass? Where is that? And I thought, you know, when I was their age, I couldn't cross the street, you know. And they're mm-hmm. they're amazing the way they can, you know, send out the food and the mozzarella and, I forget and take it. When waiters just memorize it, the yeah. order, and they don't write it down. I'm oh, like, no, we write everything down. Yeah. Okay. Because when you go to a restaurant and the waiter's like, yes, go ahead. And I'm like, I get stressed out for them. Yeah. But uh, you memorize <laughs> lines, right? You can do that or not? Yeah. Yeah. So? You, you obviously, so maybe that's a muscle you develop if yeah. you're, you know, But you would be you good know. probably is you could be really nice to people. I think you can get away with a hell of a lot, you know, if you are kind of nice, <laughs> if you're not going to get annoyed with people, then if you basically like people, then it's okay, you know. Well, some of the jobs I worked in, I did survive with, with charm, charm and with, with confronting my mistakes in such an open way yeah. that it was almost disarming. Yeah. And when they, when they said, you never finished this one thing, and I would say, you are absolutely right. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> when I worked as a, I worked as a waitress one summer, and I, I promise you, my last day there, I'd worked there for two months. I was still telling people it was my first day. <laughs> I, I used to say, I'm really sorry I forgot that, but I just yeah. started this yeah. morning, you know. Yeah. And so if you get people on your side, uh, uh, you walk into that room and you're serving people. It's like an audience, you know. Um, Bar- bartending's the one thing I thought maybe I could handle because it's all kind of yeah right there in front of you. Yeah. And... I thought maybe I could do that, but anyway, I yeah, I okay. somehow avoided the but food. But you're nice. But you like going to, and you go. Well, you come to the River Cafe, and you like going out. Have your kids ever worked? Have they worked yet in a restaurant? They haven't. They should. Yeah, that would be a nice wake up call. 
it's not a bad th- <laughs> it's not a bad job for kids because it's so collaborative, yeah. you know. I always say if you do something if you don't do your job then it's not your boss that gets upset, it's your you know, the person who's depending on the carpet being swept or the mm-hmm. parsley being chopped. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a bad idea. If you like listening to Ruthie's Table 4, would you please make sure to rate and review the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Should I ask you your favorite food scene in a movie that you've been in? Is there one? The one that's kind of sweet that I'm asked about the most probably is eating the spaghetti and maple syrup and uh, in <laughs> Elf. Uh, yeah. Because that, we, we didn't really plan out what, it, they just put a bunch of stuff in front of me and I just kind of improvised that and then ate as much as I could. And so hundreds of kids every year ask me, what does that taste like? <laughs> uh, that's the one that stands out probably the most. Great movie, yeah. great yeah. scene. What are you working on now? What do you, what's, what's happening now? Still kind of on a holding pattern. Uh, Is that with the strike, after the strike? Yeah, because the yeah. SAG strike. Did you eat more when the strike was going on? <laughs> did, that, did you have time to be at home cooking? Oh, yeah. We're still, we just were, I mean, we were just out last night at a, a amazing place in L.A. called the Japan House, which is two chefs who were formerly the chefs for the uh, the Japanese ambassador to the U.S. Oh. and they've started this restaurant, and it's um, yeah, really extraordinary. But yeah, we're I've I've been at home more, and uh, uh, you know, kind of waiting for the next thing mm. to kind of you know happen. When did you start cooking? When did you actually cook, or don't you really cook? I can't I can't lie and say that I'm that's okay really cook that much. Your boys, um, three boys, do they cook? The boys. Or? Yeah, the boys, um, our oldest is a sophomore in college, um, so I think he's he'll he'll cook a little bit. It's a really our middle son who is the big, he's the big foodie of the three. He really will love to uh, get in there, and he's like, Dad, should I make smash burgers? I'm like, do it. 
And uh, what's a he, smash burger? <laughs> yeah, that's where you take the patty and you you smash it down on the um, on the, on the skillet. Mm. Yeah, and then you don't leave it on too long. And then you flip it and smash it. So they're they're really kind of thin um, and kind of you you have a nice char on the outside. And then, mm. uh, but he's. He's he's the one who's like if we are traveling, he'll look up. Yeah, uh, he'll look up like restaurants mm. we should go to, and mm. um, he just loves all those experiences mm. and through through food and um, and he'll just occasionally. I think he also finds it really comforting. Our, our youngest boy likes it. He's like, Mom, should we uh, should we bake a cake? Yeah. Let's do it, yeah. and they'll just want to. Spend the a couple hours, you know, doing something like that. I think you should just demand that your next movie is made in London. We can uh, sit in the River Cafe Garden, or we can take a walk, or we can have food at home, or we can talk I would about. Love it. And maybe I'll see you in New York. So, the last question, and thanks so much for taking so much time, is if you had a food that you would go to for comfort, is was it the liver and onions your mother made, or is it something that you cook, or a Swedish birthday uh, celebration cake? <laughs> what would be your comfort food? Oh, um, it's such a good question. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on some of them, but the other one that pops to my mind is, I guess it's, it's connected to we have a chicken coop at our house and there's nothing more satisfying than going and getting the fresh eggs. Uh-huh. And I don't know if, if scrambling up eggs is the hardest thing to do from a cooking standpoint, probably not. Um, but it is, that's one of those connective moments of when, uh, you know, if one of my boys, we have to get him up early on the weekend to cause they got a uh-huh. soccer game or a basketball game that, to go ahead and grab some of those eggs and and just kind of gently scramble them and maybe put a little Parmesan cheese on the mm-hmm. top and 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 toast a couple pieces of bread and just sit and kind of talk as we have breakfast. That's that's very special to me and and so I I love the connection of all of that together. Mm, food and love. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I hope that we can see each other soon. Yeah, somewhere London, New York. That would be great. Yeah? I would love it, Ruthie. Okay, Thanks so much. Okay, come home. We miss you. Sean and I are here. So, Will Farrell chose for his recipe tagliarini with butter and white truffles. I mean, it's such a luxury ingredient, really. All the chefs get really excited when, when the truffle season begins and you slice your first truffle and smell it and they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. When a lot of people are having truffles in the River Cafe and the air is filled yeah. with the smell, it's really intoxicating. People feel like people may be getting high on the smell. There's also the, I think, well, there's, there's a choosing them as well when mm. you have that, you know, the, they bring in the white truffles and yeah. they sit at the table and you look at them for their shape and their firmness and how, yeah. the, how many holes there are and where the cracks are and how they will be to clean and how they will be to shave. Um, but it is that sort of smell. You know, mm. we always just sort of worry that maybe they put truffle oil in the box yeah. or something to make sure that they could smell that strong. But that's mm. why we're really careful who we buy them from. Because it's such a, a sort of a high-value ingredient. Mm. It's open to people. When I was a younger chef, maybe not quite so much now, but people used to 
bring them around London in their sort of wheelie cases mm. and then two dodgy, dodgy guys would arrive at a back door of a restaurant and ask if you wanted to see what's in their suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, what are we letting ourselves in for? And then you'd have to sift through, you know, the, we had one man that turned up with something that literally I think was a potato cuff filled with truffle oil and we were like, we can't buy that. I think the other thing about truffle is that because it's such a luxury, it's so expensive, it's so, you're careful. People try to be very, very careful. You measure, you sell it by the gram. So you sell, you know, two grams or five grams or 10 grams. And then there's, you know, you have to weigh them. We weigh them when we get them. We weigh them after the service. We make sure that we have it. But on the other hand, when you're actually doing it, you just want to give more and more and more, don't you? I'm really yeah. the worst mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. because that thing of having to judge it. Do you, do you judge it or do you weigh it when you've no, to... I, I, I freestyle, actually. Mm. I shouldn't really say that. I'm never, I never undercut people. No. But I always probably mm. go a bit over. But it's the only time you see a little tiny scales on the pass. Mm. <laughs> What's that for? <laughs> I got one of the biggest um, bollockings of my career when I was a young chef. God, I thought I was going to get sacked, literally. Yeah. I got taken to the chef's office and I was oh, no. literally, like, torn down the strip. Oh, but it was yeah. really, like... Because often you wrap the, the truffle in a tissue, don't yeah. you, to stop it from getting yeah. whatever. And, and he left the truffle in the tissue on the front pass. Mm -hmm. And so I was obviously cleaning down with soapy water and he was like, where's the truffle? <laughs> and I was like... Oh. God, I haven't seen it. And then I realised I looked on the floor where all the water and all the guys were cleaning the floor and someone trotted on it in the water. It's really cool that Will Ferrell chose that, you know, yeah, living in California. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, But he just said that he just loved those white truffles. Ruthie's Table 4 is produced by Atomai Studios for iHeartRadio. It's hosted by Ruthie Rogers and it's produced by Willem Malensky. This episode was edited by Julia Johnson and mixed by Nigel Appleton. Our executive producers are Faye Stewart and Zad Rogers. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore and our production coordinator is Bella Cellini. This episode had additional contributions by Sean Wynn Owen. Thank you to everyone at the River Cafe for your help in making this episode. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.